This is Prayer Amid Pandemic, a podcast to encourage and sharpen the church through telling stories of Christians whose faith were shaped by sickness and by praying with fellow believers around the world. I'm Morgan Lee. Kateri Takagueta became the first Native American saint in 2012. Much of her life was marked by violence, disease, and loss brought on by French colonization and conflict with local tribes. The Mohawk woman died at the young age of 24, but her resolute faith throughout her hard life inspired many. In her early 20s, this French Jesuit was really impressed by Kateri's devotion and faith in so many ways that Kateri had really impacted and deepened this Jesuit priest's faith. Suzangela and Patrick is Assistant Professor of World Christianity at Nazarene Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Adjunct Professor in History of Christianity at NATES, formerly North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies. So about the world Catalyd lived in, she was born in 1656. At this particular time, the French, Dutch, and English colonists were actually competing for indigenous land and trade in the northeast region of today's U.S. and Canada. Another important historical context about this period was the epidemic of smallpox. So the Europeans at that time had brought infectious viruses from the old world, including smallpox. The smallpox was first recorded in North America in 1518. Smallpox had brought an epidemic that killed off many indigenous Native Americans who actually had no immunity to the virus. So very much like what we're experiencing today, lots of the people who contracted smallpox, they had human contact and also through some of the the objects people had been trading with Europeans. And lots of the people who contracted smallpox would have, you know, the Europeans would have no symptoms. So it was very dangerous for people who had no immunity to the virus. And to deal with the population loss in the 17th century, the Mohawk community, which Kateri belonged to, practiced adoption of people from other tribes. So that's kind of the two most important historical contexts of the world Kateri had lived in. I think another thing that I just want to get into a little bit to help our listeners understand the context. So Kateri lives in what's now the northeast part of the United States, if I'm not wrong, slash kind of maybe the the southeast part of Canada. This is a part where, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there is French colonization taking place. The French arrive not only wanting to trade, but also they are interested in bringing their faith along. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this dynamic of having the French here, having French religious officials, and then at the same time having conflict with the local tribes. The French was very much interested in trades, but then at the same time, they were also interested in the indigenous land. What happened was at this period of time, there was a war called the Beaver War. It was very complex. Some of the indigenous tribes had allied with the French, and some of the indigenous tribes had allied with the English or the Dutch. So there were lots of different tribal conflicts brought upon colonization, although initially they were not in conflict, but because of the competition for trade or, you know, just being 
allied with the French or another colonist, there were lots of tribal conflicts as well. Interestingly, when Catalie was 10, the French actually attacked her village. So the people in her Mohawk village had to flee to the forest. And the French at that time had already actually burned down three nearby villages. So it was very much the time when the French wanted the trade and also wanted the land. So we began our conversation talking about smallpox. I was wondering if you can share how this really shapes Catalie's life. As I mentioned before, Kateri was born in 1656 in a Mohawk village in New York. So it's a few miles away from today's Arisville. Today, this village still exists. Kateri's mother was an Algonquin Christian, and her father was a Mohawk chief. Her mother's name was Tagasqueta, and her father's name was Kenarwankwa. At age four, Kateri's parents and also baby brother had died from the disease. Katari survived, but the smallpox had left her scarred. So her face was really scarred. Lots of times when you look at a painting of Katari, you would see a blanket because she used a blanket to cover her scarred face. She also lost much of her eyesight as a result. Then she was adopted by her aunt and uncle. At a very early age, Katari had already lost her entire family. Unfortunately, her aunt and uncle had adopted her and raised her in the same Mohawk village. But then the smallpox pandemic just continued. So her life was very much against this background of smallpox pandemic and also conflict. So when she was very young, there was this conflict and lots of people in her village were actually wounded. The French had forced the Mohawk to sign a peace treaty. So French Jesuit missionaries came to Catalie's village. That was actually the first time Catalie encountered the Jesuits. Even though before the Jesuits came, the Mohawks already were telling their own story of a virgin mother giving birth to the peacemaker. Throughout Katari's life, she struggled with ill health because even though she survived, but her health was very poor. But another aspect of her life was later on, after she was baptized at age 20, she was not accepted by her village. With the help of her older cousin and her older cousin's husband, she actually went to Quebec. It's a community close to today's Montreal. In that community, she practiced her Catholic faith. One of the Catholic practices was actually to fast and also to practice chastity. Also, there were some other forms of Christian devotions. She prayed for a long time, and there were some legends talking about her sleeping on a bed of thorns because she would not want to enjoy the pleasure of life. That part of practice actually furthered her ill health. Throughout her 24 years of life, you know, she suffered from losing her family, but then at the same time, her health was not very good either. It sounds like a life very much marked by hardship, physical discomfort, and the after effects of sickness. Right. So ultimately, she died at age 24 because of ill health. So why do we remember her today? So she had two biographers of French Jesuit missionaries. You mentioned that she was the first Native American saint canonized by the Roman Catholic Church in 2012. I think what Katari means to 
Christianity today is that she was a Mohawk Christian. She was remembered as Lily of the Mohawks. There is one Mohawk historian and author. His name is Darren Bonaparte. He pointed out that Kateri Takagweta was part of her culture and a valued one at that. So this is what Emily Miller had done in her research. Kateri had the distinction of being the first weaver of the wampum belts mentioned by name in recorded history. So that's not something we really have focused on. But she is significant because she signifies the importance of reclaiming indigenous Native American or First Nation cultures to honor Christ, to honor the creator today. So you don't have to give up your indigenous Native American culture. You don't have to be Europeanized. You don't have to be colonized to become a good Christian who honors his or her creator. Another important aspect of Katari's life is that one of her biographers, called Pierre Kalenek, he remarked that Katari made it apparent that one is able to serve God in all places where his providence calls him. So I think that means to us today that as a Christian, no matter where you are, even though you might be struggling with ill health, or you might be struggling with a broken relationship, or maybe it's your vacation as a lawyer, as a nurse, as a doctor, we're very much on the front line today combating the pandemic we're facing today. So no matter what vacation you are in, you can serve God. So I think that's why Katari means so much to us today. I just find her story really peculiar and remarkable in the same sense, because obviously there were so many Native American Christians and Native Americans in general who died before the age of 30, whom we do not remember at all. And the number of women that we remember is even lower. A couple of years ago, I did this big Native American reading project. And I just remember how challenging it was for me to actually hear the stories of women, much less ones who were sick. So what is her legacy and why do we remember her today? So there was a miracle that happened after Katari had died. The miracle was recounted as after she had died, her scars from the smallpox had just miraculously disappeared. That healing was seen as a really significant favor from the creator at that time. Back then in the 17th century, her life had already impacted both indigenous First Nation and also French Catholics in her community. So it's interesting because she became a bridge of healing and reconciliation because her faith really made an, a deep impression, not only on the indigenous Christians, but also on the French Christians at that time. Christians today can learn from Katari to listen, to recognize our own strengths and also weaknesses, and also to work toward becoming a person and a community of respect, kindness, truth, beauty, and hope. And I think that's very much what we need today. At least in the book that I ended up reading about her, one of the relationships that stands out is Katari's relationship with the French priests who live in her community. What was that relationship like? His name was Claude Chatetier. He was a Jesuit missionary arriving from France to Quebec. Almost at the same time, Katari had moved to Quebec. I should say a little bit of the background of the community 
where Katari had moved to. So it's a Jesuit settlement called Kanawaki. So it's just outside of Montreal. So this community was actually made up of native First Nation Christians. Katari was surrounded by Mohawk Christians. And what's interesting is the fact that she even met her mother's friend because her late mother was a Christian, even though when her mother passed away when she was really young, but her mother had taught her to pray. Katari had met her mother's friend who was living in the Kanawaki community at that time. Another aspect was when she met the priest Claude Chatetier at that time, they had a very faithful friendship. Later on, the priest actually became the spiritual advisor for Katari and also other young native Christians at that time. So Katari had also another really good friend called Maria Therese. She was also a Mohawk Christian. They were similar in age and they were very close and they became really good friends. So both of them were actually being instructed by the Jesuit priest Claude. But in so many ways, Claude was actually taught by Katari because she was so faithful, just really devout in her Christian faith. Is there anything else that you would like to add about her story that you think would be helpful for all of us who are currently experiencing this pandemic? Ultimately, we need to ask some questions we have about this pandemic. There are lots of issues we face today. There are political issues, social issues, and there are things we need to look at, like, and we need to speak out, such as Black Lives Matter. I think it's really important that we also look into history and try to look at some of the bigger pictures and also speak for social justice. I think that's really important. So I think in a way, looking at Katari's life, we can perhaps kind of like hanging a mirror in front of us and to ask ourselves some of these questions. Am I actively practicing kindness? Am I practicing truth and beauty and love and hope? Am I being respectful to the people around me? Am I being respectful to all humanity? And I think, you know, there are lots of those questions we ought to ask ourselves. This was such a great discussion. Thank you so much for sharing Katri's story with us. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Here's the latest coronavirus news in the world of church for the week of June 21st. 538 recently profiled Kay Yamada, an audio engineer in Atlanta who normally works in the music industry. Lately, Yamada, as the article reports, has found a number of opportunities helping area churches that suddenly needed to transition their services from in-person gatherings to ones that could be streamed online. These pastors were saying, we need to do something, Yamada said. To protect people in our congregation, we can't meet in person, but we still need to have a way to connect with them. Yamada makes sure the equipment and sound levels are set properly so the music and sermons won't be distorted, as members follow along on apps like Zoom or Skype. Chin refugees from Myanmar and Iowa are among those affected by regular COVID-19 out in meat packing plants, where social distancing is almost non-existent. Few community members speak English, and many digitally disconnected. Pastor Benjamin Song Bawi of Carson Chin Baptist Church has counseled those in his community over the phone, interpreted doctor's appointments, and delivered food to their homes, reports Iowa Public Radio. The pastor also said that the virus has traumatized his children. We ask them to pray at the dining table for food, but they only know how to pray for the COVID-19. They all keep on saying, let's go away, he said. The Nicaraguan Evangelical Alliance said that COVID-19 has killed more than 40 evangelical pastors. 
country never shut down its economy or asked people to shut down their lives for COVID-19. Its response, or lack thereof, has prompted many to question the official numbers, which report that just under 2,000 people have contracted coronavirus and 64 people have died as of this recording. For more coverage on how the church is responding to coronavirus, please visit the link in our show notes. Because of the global nature of this crisis, we believe it's important to hear from our sisters and brothers from around the world. Hi, my name is Tamara. I am a theology student based in Berlin, Germany. Thank you so much for having me. Let us pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for all the healthcare workers, for all the nurses, doctors, for the cleaning staff, everybody who keeps the healthcare system going. Thank you for all the healing that you've done already. Thank you for all the wondrous things you're doing. Thank you for scientists and their incredible insight and or their research. Thank you for compassionate friends and neighbors and all those who take care of other people during this difficult time. We ask you to be with those who've lost someone and to make them feel at ease and to give them peace and to just let them know that their loved ones are with you and that they are home. We ask you to help us in overcoming this pandemic and developing a cure and a vaccination for this virus. We ask you to give us peace that makes no sense and to help us remember that you are Lord and that you are almighty and that you are bigger and mightier than this virus. Jesus, we hold on to you and we pray that you keep us safe and that you will help us overcome this and that you are big and that you are mighty and that you, despite everything, know exactly what's going on. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Prayer Amid Pandemic is produced by myself, Morgan Lee, along with Matt Linder, Mike Cosper, and Eric Petrick. Music is by Urban Nerd Beats, Prod Ritterman, and Oliver Duvel. Prayer Amid Pandemic is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please help us spread the word about the show by sharing about it on social media or recommending it to your friends. The best way for you to help is by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. As a reminder, if you'd like to support this show in our ministry, you can do so by subscribing to Christianity Today at orderct.com slash podcast. If you have feedback, please send us an email at podcast at christianitytoday.com or on Twitter at CT Podcast. We'll see you soon.